happens to be represented by Boris. That's the nothing personal words of the day for this Tuesday, February 13th, 2024. For those of you in mourning at the end of the football season, get excited. Pitchers and catchers are coming. Dodgers are already there. Padres are already there because the season opens in a little over a month in Korea. But all the other teams start reporting tomorrow and the day after tomorrow, 14th and 15th. Happy Valentine's Day. See you, honey. Going to spring training. Don't worry, I'll be on the golf course by two. The reason I wanted to go and we wanted to go with a phrase of the day, because we have some fun with Scott Boris. And we are starting a season here shortly. And there's a bunch of free agents who have not signed in 2024, whether it's Bellinger or Snell or Montgomery, Boris, Boris, Boris. But David Stearns, in his first year at the helm of the New York Mets, and the Mets are reporting tomorrow, he spoke to the media and was very candid about Pete Alonso. And I am loving that GMs or President Baseball Operations are now more willing to call out Boris and what it means when you choose Boris to be your agent. As you recall, Pete Alonso was not represented by Boris. And then all of a sudden he was heading to free agency. This is his final year prior to free agency. Remember he signed that $20.5 million deal to avoid arbitration just a few weeks ago. He switched agents to Scott Boris. News alert, when a player switches agents and they're about to be a free agent and they switch to Boris, it is not because they love the team they're on, they're loyal to the team they're on and they wanna do a hometown discount. It's because they want to squeeze the last nickel out of some sucker. Now, Pete Alonzo and Coke and I spent most of the pre-show preparation debating, would you rather have Lindor or Alonzo? Can you pay Alonzo 30 million? Is Alonzo better than Judge? He's on the field more. Pete Alonzo plays 162, 155, 154, 160. He did have that rookie record of home runs and he hits 40 home runs every year, drives in a buck 20. It is true, when he's at the plate, you're not thinking game over. Oh my God, I'm so scared. But he's a productive player. And the question is, with the Mets and their huge payroll, their seemingly endless pockets, what are they gonna do with Pete Alonso? And I love what David Stearns did yesterday. He said to the media, let's be clear as we start our season and I'm gonna to get to exact quotes, but his general principle was, and his general theme, and this was a rehearsed plan theme and chef's kiss to it. I'm not really gonna talk about Pete Alonzo. That's normal, we just say that about players, impending free agents. Hey, let's just get through the season. Hey, let's get through the playoffs. Hey, let's not think about it or worry about it. But David went one step further. And when asked about his impending free agency and whether or not the Mets will sign him to an extension, he wanted to eliminate the distraction, stop the questions during spring training, except day one when they'll ask Alonzo. And after that, there's nothing to talk about because David Stearns came out and said, Pete Alonzo testing free agency is quote, the most likely outcome. And the reason he said it's the most likely outcome 
is when you have a really talented player, I'm quoting, who's really good, who's entering the final year of club control, comma, who happens to be represented by Scott Boris, comma, these things generally end up into free agency. That's correct. And when you're starting a season, you keep a list of the distractions that are possible, the storylines that people are looking to exploit early on, and yet try to tourniquet them. And what David Stearns was doing yesterday is saying, don't talk, don't talk about it. We've got him for the year. I spoke to Pete. I said, hey, love you. Let's have a great year. Because if we have a great year and you have a great year, you're gonna get your money, whether it's from us or someone else, you're all set. Your focus should be on the team winning and you having a great individual season. Do you agree with that philosophy? The philosophy of when you've got an impending free agent, are you scared to let him go? And what agents do, and Boris is really good at this, it's you better not let him go because if you do, you are hurting your team. And my answer to him always was, but if we don't, we're not helping our team, we're just paying more for what we already had. And that was the concept around the Yankees signing Aaron Judge and then not making the playoffs. I'm very happy they signed Aaron Judge. It's really good for Aaron Judge, good for the Yankees, good for MLB. But you don't get better when you re-sign your own players. You're not adding to your team. So the Mets intelligently are waiting to see whether what they're hoping was an anomaly was actually an anomaly. And when you've got a year like the Mets had last year, coming off a year like they had the year before when they won over 100 games, they did get upset in the playoffs, but it doesn't matter. They were there and in position. What is the truth about your team? Which gets me to the single biggest differentiator between a good front office and a bad front office. It's the ability to truly evaluate your team and then to watch your team and decide is what you're watching confirming your evaluation or were you wrong about your evaluation and you're gonna act accordingly given by what you're seeing in front of you? It is way harder than you think. Because think about this, when you have the Diamondbacks from last year, who they were projected to be mediocre and all of a sudden Corbin Carroll's rookie of the year and all of a sudden you're getting production from places you didn't expect and then you're winning and winning. Well, I think we should add to this team because hey, the rebuild must be done because we're winning right now. But if your evaluation of your team is that it wasn't going to be good and then you're playing well, the temptation to add and the temptation, and I agree that when you're winning, that means you're winning, therefore take advantage of that moment. But taking advantage of that moment is trading for a bunch of rentals. It's not going crazy and signing long-term deals with players who are outperforming what you expected them to do because that's how you end up getting crushed. Conversely, if you were supposed to be great and you're playing like crap during the course of a season, how quickly does a GM say, wow, we got it wrong? Or do they say, we're gonna turn it around at any minute and we're gonna be who we thought we were gonna be? So this is the time of year when GMs have put their team together with the exception of some of these free agents who are still out there and we'll talk about that likely tomorrow. 
But this is when GMs are looking at their spring training roster. They are thinking about the team, and they're then deciding as they watch the season unfold what pockets of money they have to add, what pressure there is to subtract, because we meet with our GM right before spring training and say, okay, we're a little overextended, we're above budget, we're cutting into our acquisition budget, which is a separate budget we used to have for mid-season acquisitions in case the team was playing well. We can't add this minor league free agent to the roster because we'll have to pay him $2 million and we don't want to increase our open day payroll by that amount. So we're going to take the minimum guy instead, the young guy, we'll put him on the bench. That's when you decide, here's, here's another unfair thing about baseball. Very often, and the union tried to legislate against this by all the pre-arbitration pool money, by giving young players full years of service, even if they're called up late, but one of the things that we would do running a team is we would put worse players on the team, players who didn't deserve to be on the team. We'd add them to the team because they weren't going to get consistent at-bats and we didn't want our best prospects to rot on a bench. We wanted them to play even if it's minor league level. So you don't put your best player at the end of your bench. You put sort of the schlock which is amazing because they're on a major league team, they're getting service time, they're making the minimum and they're happy as can be. So it's not always merit-based. Anyway, I don't know why we got off that subject and digressed, but I wanted to get back to what David Stearns was doing and whether or not I think this will end badly for the Mets. And my answer is no. And the reason I say no is that Steve Cohn, his whole three to five year plan and winning a World Series and are we rebuilding or are we not with the whole Max Scherzer? You can't say they're rebuilding when they've got a $295 million payroll. Now, granted, they're paying a bunch of money to Verlander and Scherzer and to James McCann. What an awful signing that was. But it's not as though he is not spending money. But when you've got a player like Pete Alonso, who is as productive as Pete Alonso is, and you are the Mets, you're not going to let him go. And the Mets know they are going to have to pay Alonzo. By not overpaying him now, which is the only way Boris would have allowed him to sign, if, is if he got a judge deal, you know, with a four-handle, not a three or a two-handle. Do the Mets ever or any team ever secretly root against the performance of a player in order to keep that player's salary reasonable? I'm sorry to tell you that if you gave me a choice, if I'm David Stearns, here's what I want to have happen. I want the Mets to win 100 games. I want the Mets to win the division. I want them to just eke out a division win over Atlanta. Then I want them to win the wild card round, the divisional round, and I want to get to the NLCS. I want Pete Alonso to play about 115 games, not the normal 150 or 160. I want Pete Alonso to hit 20 to 30 home runs, not 40 to 50. David, are you telling me that you rooted against a player? I'm telling you that I rooted for a team because I want team success. Every year, whether our projections were to win 100 or lose 100, I wanted to win the World Series. But if you gave me a choice in a Harry Potter type world, where you could wave a wand 
if you have an impending free agent, you're not looking for that guy to win the Cy Young that year. Now, if you told me, David, here's the crystal ball. In order for your team to win the World Series, your impending free agent has to win the Cy Young and he's got to get paid an extra 10 million per year in free agency, but you've been in the World Series or won the pennant. Of course, I would take that trade every single minute of every single day. I'm talking about, so make sure Coca, if you cut this or this gets aggregated, that you're very clear what I'm saying. If I'm given a choice of team success where the impending free agent is not the sole and largest reason for that success, that's my first choice. Team success with that player being solely responsible, that's my second choice. The worst scenario is what happened last year. Coco, what were Alonzo's stats last year? He hit like 217, but didn't he hit 40 home runs and drive in 120 runs or something like that? The worst case scenario, what you tell the genie I don't wish for ever is for the team to stink and for your impending free agent to go lights out all season. So we'll see what happens here with the Mets and Pete Alonso. I give credit to David Stearns for quashing any of this distraction. Wait to see when I tell you something's gonna happen. If it does, great. If it doesn't, fine. We always revisit it. Hear me now and listen to me later. Pete Alonzo, coming off a 46 homer, 118 RBI season, will re-sign with the Mets. Last night, Marlins fans, are you upset? You signed the World Series MVP a couple years ago, George Soler, overpaid him. He was terrible, and then he had a decent year last year wondering why a team that needs so much offense isn't signing him. He had a $13 million AAV and he had a player opt-out. Player opt-out stink for the team and they're great for the player. While you were sleeping, Soler signed a three-year deal with the San Francisco Giants. God bless him. He's this year's Michael Conforto. Hey, we can't get any of the big guys we wanted, so we'll bring in Conforto for two years. Good luck. All right, let's try it again. Ah, crikeys, we didn't get Otani. We didn't get anyone we wanted. There's no way we're overpaying for Bellinger. We're going to give Solaire three years, 42 million. I wonder what the math is on three divided by 14. Hmm. feel like that's 14 million a year, which is a million more than he got with the Marlins. Is that why he opted out? because he knew he was gonna get 14 million a year? Huh, interesting. Is that a coincidence? I think not. I don't know what happened with the San Francisco Giants. The only thing I can tell you is that signing and overpaying mediocre players, you don't win. All right, I wanna switch base Switch base, 4869. All right, I wanna to switch topics. I wanna to talk a little bit about the TV deals and some of the announcements that happened yesterday and why it matters. The Minnesota Twins announced a one-year deal with the bankrupt Diamond Sports. A one-year TV deal. The nightmare of all baseball front offices and executives and presidents and owners. A one-year deal? Oy, it's horrific. So the court 
the bankruptcy court, the reorg court, go back to previous episodes, chapter 11 is reorganization. The court approved a one-year deal with the Minnesota Twins yesterday. And that means that for Minnesota Twins fans, you'll be watching your team on the same Bally's network. I guess they call it, I can't remember, Bally's Sports Midwest or something, whatever it is. Bally Sports North. The team will be on Bally Sports North this year the way it was previous years. Why is the president of the Twins, one of the best team presidents around, someone who I've always had great respect for, loved working with him for all of my years, a guy named Dave Sampeter. You're very lucky to have him up in the, in the Twin Cities. He gave an interview or a speech and he talked about this and the deal. And one of the things that was of note is one of the explanations as to why the Twins are lowering payroll. You would think they're lowering payroll and you'd say, wow, aren't they, they're in a division that absolutely stinks. Why aren't they going forward and signing more players and trying to finally beat the Yankees in a playoff series and get another ring, et cetera, et cetera. When you do your budget in baseball, you are assuming the number of people who go to your games. You're multiplying that by the average price of a ticket that you think you're gonna get over the course of a season. You're slapping on a per capita for food, beverage, merchandise, and parking. You're adding that to the corporate deals that you have, which are the signs on the behind the plate and on the outfield wall. You're adding that to your revenue that you get from baseball, revenue sharing, central fund revenue that gets distributed equally to all 30 teams, like the great Loan Depot deal that sponsors the AL and NLCS. Whatever money you get gets distributed 30 ways. And then you're adding your local TV revenue. That is a huge piece of your revenue puzzle that is required in order to figure out what your expenses can be. Because in a regular business like the one you work at or the one you own, or the one you hope to work at or own one day, there's about 32% of you who are in that position. It's about revenues minus expenses. And if revenue minus expenses is a negative number, you stink at your job, guilty, and you're gonna go bankrupt. And then you've gotta have a whole section in your budget of sources of capital, because you've gotta pay for the difference between revenue and expenses. If you don't know your revenue line and you can't properly project it, then you do different budget scenarios. You do a worst case, a medium case, and a best case. And those are based on, hey, if we play great and all of a sudden attendance skyrockets that we can raise individual game prices dynamically and we get millions of dollars more than we expected or somehow we sell that last quadrant of the ballpark and we get an extra $3 million a year in a sponsorship deal and somehow Major League Baseball overperforms and they distribute extra money to us. And somehow, and somehow. If it's a contractually obligated piece of revenue, there is no change in your projections for what that revenue will be. So when you sign a TV deal and you're gonna get $55 million from Bally's per year for next year, you plug that in and that 
doesn't move because those TV contracts, they don't have upside or downside. It doesn't matter if your team wins 100 games or loses 100 games. You get that $55 million. Gate revenue can change, which then changes your F&B number and per cap, et cetera. But local broadcast revenue simply doesn't change. The Twins didn't know what they were getting. They had no way to project it. When you do a 10-year billion-dollar deal with your TV partner, you plug in $100 million if it's a straight-line deal, and that's it, set in stone. But the Twins didn't know. And when you don't know, there is no owner who is stupid enough to spend on players as though they're going to get a certain amount of money when it's not guaranteed they're gonna get it when it comes to their TV deal. Some owners are delusional and will say, hey, I think your attendance projections are low. I think that we're gonna make an extra $20 million. So while you're showing a $20 million cash requirement, I think we'll make it up with gate. And so go ahead and plug in a payroll that includes the extra 20 million. The Twins are not run by idiots. And Dave St. Peter explained it to people. And then he said, when he was giving his speech, we're not tone deaf. We understand the gap and feel horribly that we have, at least in the short term, been unable to address it. And he's not just talking about his team and his payroll. He's talking about his TV deal. And he's talking about the fact that all teams are talking about distribution right now. And it's funny because we never heard teams talk about distribution the way they are now because they were all excited to do the deal with the regional sports network and they didn't care like the Dodgers, whether the games were available to everybody or nobody, they only cared they were getting every month a huge amount of money. Once that money stops, you've got the Phoenix Suns owner, you've got all the team presidents saying, oh, we wanna get these games to as many people as possible. That's our goal. Let's do a free over the air deal. Let's make sure that our distribution is greater. So these are like the talking points you're hearing now from more and more team executives. And Dave didn't disappoint. He wants you to know that, listen, we are very focused on making sure that all of our fans get access to our games. Code word, we want the streaming rights to go to baseball, have them centralized, have them sold to somebody so the in-market blackouts disappear and you can stream our team from right in downtown tunnels of Minnesota. I get everything he's doing and everything he's saying. The problem is there is no way for Dave St. Peter or anyone to know what's gonna happen going forward with these regional sports networks. You just don't know the guaranteed cash flow the way you used to. It's not like the Dodgers deal from 10 years ago. Remember they signed that like $8 billion deal with Time Warner through 2039? Gives them like $300 million a year and there's nothing they can do about it because it's guaranteed by the entity above the regional sports network. That's why we always hated the Dodgers. The Rangers got their deal. I wonder whether that means Coca the Rangers with the TV deal now that they know it. Remember we told you Josh Hader didn't sign with the Rangers because the Rangers said we can't sign you, we don't know our TV deal. I wonder whether Jordan Montgomery was waiting to sign with the Rangers for the Rangers to get their TV deal and the Rangers were waiting to sign Montgomery until they got their TV deal. 
I guess we'll wait to see on that. But if Montgomery all of a sudden shows up in a Rangers uniform to defend their title, I've got a surprise for you. It was about the TV deal. All right. When we come back, we're going to review a movie nominated for Best Documentary Feature. And then we're going to talk about something that happened yesterday with the Washington Wizards and their stadium deal in Virginia. Every day there's news about stadium deals, and I love it, explaining to everybody what's happening. This is a good one. Louise Lucas, you're making the show when we come back. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. Through the first round of the NBA playoffs, it's still all about the Celtics and the Nuggets. Will it be a likely matchup between the two powerhouses for the NBA championship? You can bet on the Celtics to beat the Nuggets at plus 400, or the Nuggets to beat the Celtics at plus 425 right now. And if you're new to DraftKings, you gotta check this out. New customers bet five bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SAMSON. New customers can bet five bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SAMSON. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Quentin, Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson and Matthew Coca. We are coming to you live on the Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel. Thank you for joining us. And if you're downloading this and you're listening to this, thank you. Keep telling your friends and keep spreading the word about Nothing Personal. While in the middle of a winter storm here, school days, school, snow days for everyone, of course the show goes on. I watched a movie the other day because I've got my Oscar list and I can't wait for the announcement that's coming. And I think it's coming. We have another meeting Friday. I think there's going to be some cool stuff around the Oscars for me, maybe even Adnan as with Metal Arc, but we'll see what happens there. There's a long way from concept to execution. Am I right? Everybody's got a good idea. Hey, I don't want to do that. Oh, I don't have any idea how to do it, but I've got the greatest invention. I've got an invention that's going to make millions of dollars. All right. How's it going to work? No idea. So I'm watching all these movies. I watched The Eternal Memory, and I wanted to spend a few minutes on this. I am imploring you to watch it. I saw it on Paramount. That's where it is. It's about a husband and a wife, Augusto and Paulina, and Augusto has Alzheimer's, dementia. And there are cameras who are with them as he goes from him to where you can't even find him anymore. 
and it goes through the fear, the sadness, the trepidation, the anxiety of what it is to care for someone with dementia, Alzheimer's, and what it is to be that person. And what you're saying is, oh, this seems like your everyday run-of-the-mill documentary or movie. We've seen him a million times. Anthony Hopkins got nominated for an Academy Award for playing one of these. I get it. It's an old story. However, the characters in this documentary who are real-life people, the access to what she was filming of her husband as it was happening, when they had no idea there was ever going to be a movie, she was just there capturing film. It's no, there's no recreations. There's no third-party narrative, oh, this is what it was like when he couldn't remember who he was and how scared he was. She was filming the entire time, like boyhood, but for real. And her point in doing this is she wanted to provide him and his family and their family with his eternal memory. And I have spent more time recently than I care to admit thinking about mortality, thinking about disease and death and health and dementia. And it occurs to me that we all live for such a short period of time, whether you live for 50 years or 100 years, it's a rounding error at the end of the day, not when you're currently going through it, of course. The tragedy is unspeakable when people die too young. But 300 years from now, there'll be no difference. So did you die in 2010 or 2060? But what I was thinking about is what we do every day with our phones and the videos we take and the TikToks. I was thinking about all the social media that we're doing, trying to advance nothing personal and all the things that we're doing. And I was wondering about eternal memories. It used to be only through photos. Now, I believe that my grandchildren, if I ever have them, or my friends and their kids or anybody who used to know me after, after I die, there's a whole catalog of videos, of experiences, of moments, and creating eternal memories for people has become way easier. And what I thought about is whether that's good. Because it used to be that if someone died in the 1960s or 70s, he had a couple home videos, they were a little grainy and black and white, and instead he got to be James Dean. James Dean, is when you die young, that's the expression I use for dying young, and all of a sudden you become something that you weren't. So it's when people who aren't that nice and they die young, all of a sudden they're remembered as the greatest people in the world. It's normal. Now, with all the existing video and the eternal memories that everybody has, you can't fool anybody anymore post-death because they've got digitalized proof my God, that guy was an A-Rod. It sort of made me laugh and cry at the same time. It's called Eternal Memory. You got to watch it to do your Oscar pool, and you have to watch it because it's that good. All right, L. Louise Lucas. I did not have on the Nothing Personal bingo card that I would have a Democratic Virginia legislator ever 
on the show. And I don't mean as a Samson sit down guest. I mean, I didn't think I'd utter your name across my lips. But then you came out with a quote yesterday, which was on the heels of Ted Leonis's leaking out that they were interested in getting a new arena in Northern Virginia. And then he held that entire press conference. Who remembers? I am so sick and tired and I did it. I did it in Montreal, unveiling a stadium without a stadium deal being done. Like, hey, the name of our stadium is not Labatt Park. It's Aspirational Stadium. The Tampa Bay Rays did that whole press conference. Everybody does a press conference. Ted Leonis did the whole thing. Everybody was there. The governor stood there and said, this is great. We're all so excited. One minor, teeny tiny issue. You don't play the drums. Exactly. That was a callback to love, actually. I'm sorry. One teeny tiny, back when Liam Neeson was not like an action guy. So they did the entire press conference and they forgot that they don't have a deal in Virginia yet. The financing required for this monumental transaction, shockingly, like it is in St. Petersburg, not quite done. So Louise Lucas came out yesterday and said, as far as I'm concerned, the deal's dead. There will be no bill allocating public money to this deal. And everybody was panicking. I mean, they were thinking about today's snowstorm because I think there's supposed to be a storm today. Maybe not in DC, I think it's north of here in Boston and in New York. When someone tells you a bill is dead or a deal is dead, it's not. And here's what happened behind the scenes in Virginia that caused Louise Lucas to say that her ballpark bill, the ballpark bill was dead. They're fighting in the legislature about things having nothing to do with basketball or hockey. And they're using the sports bill as a lever to get what they want in other places. So you've got Democrats against Republicans. They're fighting over, for, over roads, over infrastructure, over education, over drugs, over therapy, whatever they're fighting about when they're doing the state budget. And they say, hey, if you don't do this for me, I'm not doing that for you. When legislators get together during a session, it's horse trading. It's like the winter meetings. Hey, if I give you that, will you give me this? It's like collective bargaining. So you've got people now coming out after what Louise Lucas said, and they're saying, oh, give me a break. You know, this whole project will create 30,000 jobs. There'll be billions of dollars in revenue. The only thing I can think of is that this woman is trying to do a pocket veto of the governor's priority because the governor in Virginia has been out front saying, I want this ballpark deal, this arena deal to happen. It's the only possible explanation of why she is coming out and doing this and why she is not allowing this bill to pass through the Senate. Like you learned in Schoolhouse Rock, these bills have to pass the Senate and the House. Sometimes they call it the Assembly. 
So there's two different bodies that have to pass a bill for it to happen. One body can pass a bill and the other body can say, forget it, I won't pass that bill, but I'm gonna add something. Sometimes they call it fat or pork, and then we'll send it back for you to approve what we approved. And then they say, no, I don't wanna approve that. Forget it. And then they send back a different bill. And before you know it, the legislative session is over and nothing happens. This is a Tuesday. My only laugh about Louise Lucas and her announcement. There's so many politicians when it comes to sports, they don't really go public with what they're doing with the myriad other bills that are happening inside a session. Hey, I don't like this one, I like this one. Don't like this one, like that one. I'm willing to put this one into committee, not that one. That is kept really in side the kimono with lobbyists and legislative aides. But when there's a sports bill, everybody knows your position because you call a press conference and talk about it. Can you imagine if they called a press conference to talk about their view on every single bill that's in front of them during a session? They would never do it. But sports is just different. It's why there's so much public funding of sports facilities. It's why it's such a polarizing issue. It is used by people to get votes for themselves, to get elected or reelected for themselves. When you are pulling a lever for a candidate, whatever your one issue is, whether it's Israel, whether it's guns, whether it's abortion, whatever your one issue is, on the local side, what's your one issue? Are you focused on cleaning the sidewalk cracks in front of where you live? Or do you hear more about the corporate handouts being given by the public for sports facilities? Nothing personal pick of the day. We are back to 23 and 25, Coco. We're crawling out of our hole, which makes me happy. We had the Bucks plus one against the Nuggets in Milwaukee. We won that. The Bucks won the game outright. So we're 23 and 25. Today's pick of the day, we have the Kings plus five versus the Suns. So we are taking the Sacramento Kings in Phoenix, getting five against Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, and the Suns. Someone is asking, are they asking in the chat, Coker, or is this just you yelling in my ear about what the Cleveland Browns did? Oh, it's you? Okay. Sometimes he tries to pay attention to the chat and because there's a chat that happens during the course of the show if you're live at 8 a.m. But Coca has a question about Cleveland that I do want to answer and I'm happy to answer that. The Cleveland Browns released a statement recently and there were people in Cleveland, as a matter of fact, Coca, are you doing this because you do have access to my calendar? I don't think you do, but hold on one second. Let me make sure I have this right. I'm looking at my calendar on my phone right now. Yes, at one o'clock today, I'm going on Baskin and Phelps in Cleveland, 92.3, to talk about the Browns stadium situation. There was a press conference with the governor and then a statement that was released about a stadium in Cleveland that is not yet done, the deal's not done, there's no shovel in the ground, nothing's happening. And I wanna read you this statement because it's actually a funny one. We appreciate the collaborative process with the city of Cleveland and the leadership of Mayor Bibb 
in analyzing the land bridge and renovating the current stadium. At the same time, as part of co our comprehensive planning efforts, we are also studying other potential stadium options in Northeast Ohio at various additional sites. Plenty of work to do and diligence to process before a long-term stadium solution is determined and we will share further updates at the appropriate time. What a bunch of marble mouthed horse hockey that's, that is. What does that really mean, Matt? I'm happy to tell you. It means Cleveland needs a new ballpark, a new stadium for football, except they know they don't, can't get it done in time, so they need money to renovate where they play now, which is code word for, we need better facilities for the players and more revenue for ourselves. And so please, we'd like public money for today, but don't worry, we are then going to need public money because we wanna do an entire ballpark village like all the other people, like the Bears in Arlington, which they haven't gotten done yet. All of these teams are trying to find ways to get more money, more revenue through development. It's real estate plays like Inter-Miami and the Miami airport. By the way, is there a shovel in the ground there? Has the structure started to go up? Messi can barely stay on the pitch today. How's that working out for Inter-Miami? We didn't even get to that yet, Coca. How Inter-Miami totally got screwed and screwed in China, which as you know, is not well thought of. Jimmy Haslam, who owns the Bucks and also the Browns, Jimmy Haslam, we have given plenty of crap to for his signing to Sean Watson and him consulting his wife and daughter on the signing. He did what the Bears did. He bought a huge parcel of land that's outside of downtown Cleveland where he can develop it. He can use it for a stadium. He can use it as a real estate play. But the first thing you do is you use it as leverage. The leverage is, hey, we've got optionality. It is no secret that the playbook for getting public money for a stadium is making sure that you've got other parcels available, either in other cities or your own. Look what the White Sox did. They announced their whole renderings of their Stadium 78 or their loop in, in the Chicago South Loop. I think it was like 78 acres. They have a huge amount of land where Jerry Reinsdorf wants to develop something for, for whoever, for the next owner of the White Sox. This is the new stadium playbook. And what the Browns are doing, for whatever reason, is they're following a little too closely what everyone's doing, which is the premature presser. Anything premature is not good, but the premature presser is the worst. And the reason is that you are getting your fans excited. We just talked about early in the show with what Tampa did. You're getting your fans excited for something that's gonna happen. Stu Sternberg, Coca, you're right. Stu Sternberg, the owner of the Rays, did the thing about the split city in Montreal. Everyone got excited about that. Half the season in Tampa, half in Montreal. Then he announced the building in St. Petersburg. Remember he did that during the playoffs? Ted Leonisis announced they're moving to Northern Virginia. Cleveland has this land. The White Sox have these renderings. Are you not noticing a pattern? The pattern is very simple. Our only way to get money these days is getting the public 
panicked. Well, a little note to the politicians out there. The Bears are staying in Chicago. The White Sox are staying in Chicago. Oh, I'm meeting with the mayor of Nashville. Whatever. You're not going to Nashville. I wonder what's going to happen now. Remember the Brewers? They did it too. Before they got money to renovate Miller Park and extended their lease. Hey, I'm not sure we can stay here. Arizona, the Diamondbacks have said, oh, we're, we're in the, we won the pennant, but hey, we need help here. We need a new stadium. The Coyotes, by the way, wait till they announce. I think they're actually going to move. They're playing in a college facility for crying out loud meatloaf. There's no end to the number of teams that are in this position. So what is my takeaway? My takeaway is the reason why we are obsessed with the Oakland A's moving to Vegas is that we view that in baseball as the key to expansion. And it's Vegas, so it's sexy, and there's lights, cameras in action. But what's going on with Oakland is no different than all the other teams we just mentioned. What's going on with Oakland is according to the exact playbook that you need to do in order to get a building where you are, not where you're going. All of the announcements, all of the work, all of the money spent for focus groups and for studies and for land use and for development and for renderings of this hotel, that convention center, that retail, that affordable housing. Everyone's putting these together. They're putting these packets together all in an effort to gain ownership over non-sports related revenue producing properties in order to make money. Why? It's just business. We'll follow all these stories because that's what we do here at Nothing Personal. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.